Well, good morning uh, again. Good to see you. My name is Randy. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to do so, but uh, wanna, I'm excited about today. I, I love seeing Cindy's Hope. I met with her uh, a couple weeks ago uh, when we did the video, and just amazing story of this woman who just obeyed God and went to Africa and uh, made me kind of want to go to Rwanda and, uh, or Kenya. I don't know. I've never wanted to go there before, but I think I'd like to see what she's doing. Hundreds and hundreds of kids and it continues to grow. So that is awesome. And you guys are a big, big part of that. Uh, guys, next week we we'll begin a new series called Weaponized. And I'm excited about that, about how God has prepared us, equipped us for the battle that we fight every day uh, going out into the world. It really is a battle. Sometimes we're more aware of that than others. But uh, I'm excited about that. We start that next week. Today we're going to be wrapping up our series on Parenting on Point. And if you're here for the first time and you say, well, I don't have kids right now, uh, that's perfectly fine because we're looking at some scripture that applies to every facet of every person's life about how we're to love God and love our kids and teach them how to love others as well and to love God. You know, as most of you know, or many of you know, I really enjoy woodworking. It's kind of something I've kind of picked up over the last few years. And uh, the shoulder surgery has really put a break on my work. I mean, I'm just like... I haven't done anything since May, so I'm really kind of chomping, really frustrated uh, about trying to get past that. But I think it's really neat to be able to take uh, some rough materials to put them together to produce a finished product. And also before that, I kind of did a lot of repurposing as well. So I would take old items and paint them or, or make something new and different out of them. And over the last few years, I've made a lot of things, but I was thinking about this. One thing I've never done, I have never made anything out of nothing, I've never made something out of nothing. Every time I get ready to make something, I have to go purchase some items or drag some things out of my barn uh, that need, uh, that's another story. But, um, but I have to find things to make things of. Cabinets are made from plywood. Shelves are made from boards, uh, always from physical materials. I've never made something from nothing, and the only person who could possibly do that is God. God's the only one that can make something from nothing. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not, but Hebrews chapter 11 says... By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That God formed our universe from nothing. He began with nothing. Isn't that amazing? We read Genesis chapter one and two about creation, that God began with a blank canvas and God created this amazing earth that we live on and, and all of its seasons and all the changes, the solar system, all the animals, plant life. And then God created his ultimate creation, which is us, you and I, mankind. And he made all those things from nothing again. And then he provided each of those creations the ability to recreate animals and plants and mankind. He created the miracle of human conception, uh, development in the womb, and then birth. And then we read a couple of weeks ago that God gives us a soul, that he breathed into man, his creation, the breath of life. And that's when he really came to life is when the soul came into him. We talked about the soul and the spirit. But then we also acknowledge that along with that soul, we admitted that we have this human body, this physical body that we live in. In fact, when you look at someone, you don't always see their soul. You see their face, their body. You see what their soul inhabits, this physical temporary body that we carry here. And so we've been talking about how do we relate to God in every facet of our life, including the soul. We talked about the soul, the heart, the mind. Today, we're going to be talking specifically about the body with all of our being. And we're going to conclude this series. We began this study from Mark chapter 12, 
where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, which was your, your emotions, all your soul, which is your spirit, all of your mind, which is mentally loving God with your mind, and then loving God with all of your strength, which is the physical side that we're going to talk about today. And like we've been saying, there are two parts of us, the part that we see and the part that's inside, the soul, the physical body on the outside, and they work together. I don't know if you ever thought about that, how your soul and your body work together very, very well. They're very connected. Your body affects your soul and your soul affects your body. And so as parents, which is kind of the angle we've been coming at this uh, from, How do we teach our kids to love the Lord? How do we love the Lord, first of all, in these ways? How do we teach our kids to love the Lord? And how do we love them in these ways as our Heavenly Father loves us? And as parents, we are raising a body and a soul in our children. You are raising their soul as well as their physical body. And we have to see the connection together. Because what a person's body does will determine what their soul condition is. What a person's body does will determine what their soul condition is. If you think about it, our actions have so much impact on our soul and our spiritual development. You're not going to raise a healthy soul in your child if you don't raise them with physical activities like reading the Bible and prayer and service. These are ways that we develop the soul of our child. We do these simple things, just spending time with them. It develops their soul and their spirit and deepens that. And you're not going to raise a healthy and godly soul in your child if you don't have them in church, if you don't take advantage of children programming and student ministry and things like that. And you know, I've been at this for about 40 years as ministry. It's hard to believe. But I can almost predict how a person's commitment to the Lord will be based on how they are raised. I know there are times when someone is raised in the absence of faith, and then they come to know the Lord when they're you know, teen years or older as an adult. That happens a lot. But for someone who's raised in a home, many times that will determine what their, what their spirit is going to be like when they grow up. And if a child is sometimes raised in a minimally committed Christian home, in many cases, they're not going to follow Christ as an adult. We know the fallout that happens when a person goes to college. And sadly enough, this happens, I think, because they get just enough surface Christianity to make them immune from the real thing. You know, a few years ago, I got um, the flu. I never had a flu shot, but I got the flu twice in one year. So every year now, I get a flu shot. I know not everybody does, and that's fine. Um, But when you get a vaccine, what it does, it gives you just a little bit of it, and then you're immune from the real thing. And unfortunately, a lot of people get just enough Christianity to, to be turned off to it. It's a surface Christianity, and then they're immune to the real thing down the road. And that's why I believe that we as parents are called to love the Lord with all of our strength, all of our strength. That is our physical body and our actions so much or as much as we love the Lord with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, that our actions reflect our love for the Lord because they have a huge impact on our spiritual part. And we're to care for and mature the physical bodies of our children like we have a focus on their spiritual soul as well. We have to focus on both areas of it. You know, the body is important. We should never dismiss the impact of the soul or the body. And we know the body's important. Down through time, there was a, there was a time, there was a culture that minimized the value of the body. The body's bad, the body's evil. That isn't true. We know that the body is good. It can be good, it can be holy. And Jesus came in a physical body. He wasn't just a spiritual being. 
He humbled himself to become a baby, an infant born to a human mother, dependent on his earthly parents for everything, and then he experienced all the good and the bad experiences of life. Jesus was not exempt from anything that you've gone through, temptations, struggles, challenges, discouragements, hurts, you know, all sorts of emotions. Jesus went through all those things in his physical body, and eventually he suffered not only pain, but also death at the hands of his enemies. Jesus was God in the physical body. And while he was in the physical body, he taught us how to live physically. Taught us how to think and and live mentally and spiritually, but also how to live physically as well. And he taught us also how to resist temptation to the body. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter two. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We know that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit inwardly, but outwardly he grew and he became strong. You know, when you think about it, we as parents are called to minister to all facets of our children, but with us, physical growth is almost automatic. I mean, if you feed your kid, they're going to grow. And the more they grow, the more they're going to want to eat. And that, they just get older and then they grow up. That's almost automatic if you feed them something. But spiritual growth is not. Spiritual growth is not automatic. You don't die, don't just happen to grow spiritually. It takes It takes effort and intentionality. It takes discipline, self-discipline, and self-control. And I believe it takes a community to do it. It takes parents and grandparents and family and nursery and children workers and student leaders and coaches and teachers and ministers. And I know that with our kids, we wanted them to have the benefit of everybody possible who could exert a positive influence on them. We wanted the community to help us nurture them and raise them. And at times, we really needed the community to do just that. So as our child grows physically, we need to make sure that they grow spiritually. And we need to look specifically at each child to see the call that God has on their life. And and this is something that I've been thinking about. Zach and I have been talking about this. That parents, I want to encourage you to be open to your child going to some sort of ministry. Because your goal is to raise your child up to the Lord with every opportunity to grow in their faith, discover the call that God has on their life. We know that God has a call, a purpose for every life, a purpose for every life. Every now and then I talk to someone who says, I want to make sure that I am fulfilling the purpose God has for my life. They say, I don't know why God has saved me through something, but I feel like I have a purpose. So many people got and planted that into us. We all have a call on our life. And the call on your child's life may actually be into ministry of some sort. You may want them to be a doctor, a lawyer, teacher, you name it, but God may want them to be a preacher, to be a worship leader, a children's or student minister of some sort. So I would encourage you to have an open mind about that and have conversations with them as they grow up about what God might want them to do. And if they do choose a secular career, that's fine. Most people will, obviously. But talk about how God can use them where they are. Talk about how God can use them in any field and use your own life experiences as such to explain to how you feel like God is using you in your physical place in life, whatever you do, whatever age you are, to impact the lives of other people. So in this series, we've been talking about how to care for your child's heart, soul, and mind And so today I want to talk practically and just kind of wrap up the series about several different stages of your child's physical development and how you can lead and love them through those times. 
Well, the first stage is obviously, this is stage one, zero to four, infants and children. I'm telling you, these are exhausting years, aren't they? They wear you out. You love them, but you're glad they don't stay that age all their life. Our son didn't sleep through the night for three years. Three years, we didn't get a full night's sleep. And you know, you think about that, babies, they don't have a job. They don't have any responsibilities. They don't care whether you sleep or not. They're going to sleep all day if they want to as well. Zach, keep this in mind. They don't care about, about your schedule, all right? I mean, they cry, they stick everything in their mouths, you know, they fall down, and, and they're constantly changing, and their personality develops during the first few years. Love seeing our granddaughters, uh, how they're growing and maturing. They change emotionally and spiritually and mentally and physically. It is a constant process of nurturing them and, uh, and watching them grow. And then they start walking and talking and reasoning and rebelling and saying no. They learn the word no very quickly. You don't have to teach it to them. And you need to spend time intentionally with them. Even in those younger years, even when they're babies, reading about God's word, from God's word, telling Bible stories and praying with them and teaching them about, about who God is. I love the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter six. It's such a visual picture about how to instruct your children. And in Deuteronomy six, it says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forage. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see what he's saying is as your children grow, as they mature, keep the word of God before them all the time in conversation, in books, you know, in, in every way you can possibly do that. Make sure that they know who God is, that there's an awareness that they're growing physically, but they're also growing spiritually as well. And if there's one verse that's key for the script stage, it would probably be Ephesians chapter six, where it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord. This is also one of the Ten Commandments, by the way, in Exodus 20. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. The first child, first thing that a child this age needs to understand is that God has delegated authority to their parents. And I don't think we think about this often, but the whole idea of authority is being in control of your child. They have to learn obedience, because they learn obedience as a child, and this will determine much of the rest of their lives, how they relate to teachers, how they relate to coaches, how they relate to bosses, how they relate to the law, and ultimately God. A self-controlled, a self-disciplined life that knows and understands obedience. You know, as a parent, you may be tempted to yield to your child uh, to try to earn their approval by letting them get away with whatever they want. But, you know, that's a bad idea. It really is. For one thing, it's disobedient to God about being the kind of parent he wants you to be, but it also doesn't do your child a favor either because they will struggle the rest of their lives with authority if you don't establish it when they're young. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about discipline here because you need to figure that out with your family, but discipline your child. Teach them how to accept authority. You know, we all have this sin nature. Every one of us have it. We have to learn self-control. And the best way to learn self-control is to learn obedience, and that starts with parents. And you know, let me just suggest here that, especially to young parents, the best way to teach obedience is what's called first-time obedience. First-time obedience, pretty self-explanatory, right? But we've all seen or maybe even been that parent in the store that's having trouble with their kid, you know, obeying them. 
and the kid wants something, and then uh, the parent says no, and then it really turns, uh, turns bad. And the parent begins to beg or bargain or scream at the child, none of which works most of the time. But wouldn't it be great, the ideal would be, wouldn't it be great if they obeyed the first time we ask? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, and honestly, I know that seems out of hand and impossible sometimes, but it really is possible for every child. I'm not saying our kids did this, all right? Don't get me wrong. Some of you know my kids, so I'm not going to lose my credibility here. But we really tried this first-time obedience where, you know, we're, it just it takes a lot of work on the parent to establish it. But it really is helpful. It, it really means that you say what you mean and you mean what you say, and it would take a lot of grief out of a parent's life. Here's the thing. A child will rise to their parents' expectations. Every one of us do this. Your employees work, rise to your expectations. We will not do more than someone expects of us, and if possible, we will try to do less. It's just how we each really are, and kids are no different. They're little human beings, right? So um, I read from an article, and I will give you this resource, christianfamilyheritage.org. I think it may be on the screen. Is that on? on, Yeah. So that that website's got a really cool article in there. Just go to that website, search first-time obedience, and uh, it's a great article to read, regardless of how old your kids are, all right? By the way, that's how God wants to, us to obey him as well, isn't it? That when God says we do it, we don't argue with God, we just do it. If God says it one time in the Bible, it's supposed to be obeyed. So that's important. Obedience is important there. Loving your child with all your strength also means that you show them physical affection that's appropriate to their age. Now, obviously, as small children, when you're in this first stage, they need to be held and loved on. But as they grow into a young adult, our expressions of love will become less physical, but they need still to, to include hugs and physical touch as appropriate. So that's stage one. Stage two is age, ages five through 12. And these are the years basically about character formation. Your child's learning to reach, uh, read out, reach out on their own. They're learning how to read. They're developing independence. And during this time, if you have them, especially in a, uh, in a ministry or a church, they're going to start seeking God. They're going to start thinking, they're going to have these conversations about who God is as you guide them. Make sure that you're giving them every opportunity to worship and learn at home and at school and at church. They need to see the priority of being with the family of God and serving. Model servanthood with your children. Help them work through the challenges of childhood. Help them process uh, the, the temptations that they're going to have. Help them resolve relational difficulties. Some kids never get this ability, and then they have trouble when they become adults. Question, uh, answer their questions about their value and about their person during this time. And also in this stage and in the next stage, they're going to struggle maybe with their identity. And in our current climate, they're going to they're question a lot of things about themselves. Body image has always been a really big deal, an issue with preteens and teenagers. But assure your children that God made them just like they are, that God didn't make them any different, and that God wants them to live with the physical body that they have. Assure them that God didn't make mistakes. He wants them to accept who they are. They're made in the image of God. Help them see that God's approval and accepting God's creation, God's, uh, the identity God's given them is more important than the approval of other people or even their self-approval. That's important that our children understand that, especially at this time. And so it's during this time period that your child may begin to come to an awareness of their sin and the need that they have for forgiveness and make a decision to give their life to Christ. 
And it's kind of as you walk with them through that, help them be open to the Holy Spirit and share with them how the Spirit works in your life, the influence, the guidance of the Spirit, not only to comfort and guide them, but also to build Christian character in their lives. Read them scriptures like this, Galatians chapter five, which is such a, a visual scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live with the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit's a really visual thing to think about. These are personal, physical characteristics that we are developing, and God's going to help us develop these things. And these are exciting years spiritually for your child because many of them will make a decision during this time to give their life to Christ. Many of them will be baptized during this time. You know, I always encourage parents to be, have a, be a part of that, to baptize their child if they're comfortable in doing that. I think that's so cool when parents, the ones who have influenced them the most, are there actually baptizing their children. And then third, third area are, are the, uh, the teen years. And this is when they begin to move from middle school to high school, and you begin to see that your child is growing and developing, and, and then you also begin to see that your years with them are beginning to be numbered. Uh, these years may be confusing for a child because they begin, uh, they're kind of leaving childhood and adulthood and, and they, don't, they need their parents, but they don't want their parents either. And they're seeking independence in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, many, many times your child's going to be insecure, physically and socially awkward. And there are some fortunate kids that get to be popular and leaders during this time. I wasn't one of those kids, but most kids are going to struggle to find themselves. They're going to need support and encouragement, affirmation about who they are, get behind them, encourage them, and, and be their biggest fan during this time. And these, these teen years are years of identity formation and relationship training. Who am I? What am I doing with my life? How do I fit in with people? Help them define and deepen during these years a relationship with God have those conversations with your kids intentionally. Help them learn how to grow and develop a relationship with other people and even maybe point other people to Jesus themselves. You know, these can be years of, dif of, of difficulty and conflict. A lot of times parents and kids struggle during this time, obviously. But do your best to stay close to them. And I will say that much of the relationship during these hard years will depend on how you built the relationship in your younger years. You know, when you have to try to get control of a teenager and you haven't built that foundation when they're younger, that's going to be a hard life for you for sure. If you establish respect and authority in them when they're young, then you can expect to enjoy those teen years. If not, they're going to be challenging. But don't give up. Don't give up. The teen years also are a time to transition from a lot of physical involvement to more emotional and spiritual involvement as you kind of begin to focus their lives. But they still need our physical touch. And let me just say this, dads, your daughters will always need your expressions of love and your affirmation. And it gets a little more challenging when they grow older and appropriate, obviously, but they need to be loved. If you don't show them love, then they're going to desperately seek that love somewhere else. So during these years, hold them as close as you can, but also let them become independent. Uh, these are the years when they start to drive, which is a whole new thing, when they have sports and jobs and they maybe move a little bit further distance from our, the oversight of their parents, but they never move far from your influence. They need to be led just with increasing freedom. Hold them tight, but let them go. It's hard. Uh, when our kids were growing up, uh, we, we gave them freedom. We never had curfews for our kids. 
unless they prove they couldn't be trusted. I'm not saying everybody should do that, uh, but it worked for us. There was a time we imposed a pretty strict curfew uh, because our, uh, one of our kids couldn't be trusted at the time. And then they uh, recovered that and we gave them a little more freedom. So you gotta kind of figure out what your child, what they can handle. There's a temptation at all the stages, I think, to try and to be your child's best friend, but this is a mistake, it really is. The reality is your child's gonna have plenty of friends in their life, but they're only gonna have two parents. And they need you as a parent to lead them and love them and set the example of a godly adult for them to follow. And you have to be able to start kind of letting them go, knowing that even if you aren't with them at the time, they're gonna still live their life in relationship with God out of reverence and respect for you and your values, but also for God. And then the last stage is adulthood. And uh, this is the hard one too. This, every stage is hard, it seems like. But this is where parents have to kind of let go and become peers. Not as much a parent, but a peer to their child and respect their child as they grow up. And if you've done your job, then your child is gonna be financially and uh, um, uh, physically independent of you. They're gonna be able to live out there on their own. They're gonna make their own decisions. They're gonna have their own relationship with Christ. And you pray that you have been able to communicate Christ with them so that they'll begin the process of, again with their own kids. And they're able to make wise decisions about relationships with other people and career and money and things like that. And where you once offered them advice and told them what they should do, you now wait to be asked. You kind of hold up and just see you know, what they decide. And you only step in if they're about to go off a cliff somewhere. You know? But during this time, you continue to encourage them. And um, especially spiritually, their spiritual growth. And then we're kind of at the place where you get to sit back and, and have those grandkids and enjoy them, you know, and you hope that they've learned enough to do it themselves. As I said a few weeks ago, you never know how successful you are as a parent until your kids are parents and they raise kids who are parents. So it could be a long, long time before you know how well you've done, really done. But you know, the physical body growing up, maturing, I guess the point I just wanted you to see is it makes a difference, the things that we do as to the condition of our soul and our relationship with God. And for all of us, the body must be ruled by the spirit. You know, God gives us a physical body that has a soul inside. It has, our bodies have passions and pleasures that can lead us to God or from God. And these can be things like sex and food and drugs and pleasure and laziness and selfishness and godless living, all those things are going to be, they're going to be temptations of the physical body. And we're going to satisfy some of those physical, physical longings. But if all we do is indulge the sinful nature of what the Bible calls the flesh, then we're going to find ourselves pursuing death. The physical body really matters and how it matures. Paul addresses the struggle between flesh and spirit in Romans 8, where he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
because of this spirit who lives in you. Guys, we've all been given these physical bodies, but we know that if we follow the flesh, if we do what we want to do, the body desires all the time. If you abuse your body, it will lead to death. If you eat too much, you drink too much, you abuse your body, you allow your flesh to control you, it leads not only many times to physical death, but also to spiritual death as well. Romans chapter 12 says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. Everything we do in the body should be honoring and glorifying to God because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. And that's something we have to teach our kids that we're not just a body, a life that, that goes for everything the world has to offer, but we are a, a body that, that houses a soul that needs the connection to God and somehow we've got to get them there. So they understand that and they have that own, their own connection. You know, like I said, as I began this series, the best way to raise a mature Christian adult is to be a mature Christian adult, to have the end in mind and model that for them. Love them with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love them with all you have. Make sure that they know it. And they need to see you loving and leading them toward Christ. And then when you've done your job, they're going to look a lot like you. A few weeks ago, I read this quote that it really impacted me. It said, your legacy may not be what you do, but who you raise. Your legacy may not be what you do in life, but who you raise in life. And we hope our children, the Bible says that our children are like arrows that we shoot we need to aim our children. We need to direct and encourage them and then release them to do what God's called them to do. You know, I hope this has been encouraging to you. Zach, uh, we talked a little bit about that. Zach and Allie are expecting a baby soon. And, uh, you know, I, I hope it's encouraging whether you're at that place and expect, expecting or whatever, whatever stage of life. And a lot of you parents could probably give me a lot of advice on this as well. But I hope it's encouraging but more than that, I hope that God's spoken to you through his word about how you're to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind, with all your strength, with everything that we have. And then it says, secondly, we love our neighbor as we love our God with all that we have. You know, it's amazing how God has given us blessed lives and the opportunity to know him and that, much of that comes through our obedience, what we, how we live for him and decisions that we make. In a few moments, we're going to be able to experience a baptism um, that we will observe someone, the physical body being lowered into the water and then being raised up. And the Bible tells us that that's a picture of Jesus who died, was buried, and then raised again. And so um, it's a beautiful picture of the, of the body submitting to uh, the, the, the wall, law and, the, and the, the will of Christ. And so if you have not given your life to Christ, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can just uh, give me a call or, or email or whatever uh, through our website. We'll be glad to talk to you about that to see what your next move might be on your journey toward Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, as we are called to serve you and love you, Lord, we know that um, it's what we do in our mind, it's what we do in our heart, Lord, our spirit's drawn to you, but it also is what we do in our physical body. And Lord, the activities of our life and how we live our life physically 
will directly impact the relationship that we have with you. Lord, I pray that we can learn to discipline ourselves uh, and limit ourselves and say no to self, yes to you, yes to the Spirit. And Father, we can do that with our children. We can do that with other people that we can influence and love them with the love that we've been shown. And Lord, that we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together to worship him in song.